One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. Normally when we record these podcasts, Andrew, I speak to you from the comfort of my own flat. Um, But today I'm not in my flat. I'm in a Ford Fiesta ST edition <laughs> in the lovely town of Lynmouth. Lin- where's Lynmouth? Oh, it's down it's Exmoor, isn't it? Just off Exmoor, yeah, overlooking the, the Bristol Channel. Yeah, it's, lo- yes. it's, it's a beautiful town. Um, I'm sat in a car park overlooking the river that runs through the town. You might be able to hear it in the background. Um, it's a very pretty little place. I'm just a bit aware that after dark, uh, public car parks can become a bit more sinister. But I think in this part of the world, we're okay. Yes, yes. Goodness knows what people may be thinking you're getting up to in a public car park <laughs> after dark in that part of the world. But we, 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 we will leave that to people's imagination. Yeah, quite. Um, okay, so well, that, now you know why it might sound a little bit different in here. It might be a bit echoey or a bit less echoey. I don't know. But anyway, we're not talking about where I'm recording this podcast. We're talking about racing. Why yeah. we go racing. Yes. Um, it's a, it's a good topic, isn't it? There's plenty of stuff to talk about. But before we get stuck in, we should just say, we understand, don't we, that not everyone gets to go racing for free the way that we do. And that motorsport, in almost all its forms, is enormously expensive. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean even, even the cheapest form of motorsport, uh, and believe me, I've done some of my time, um, it, it's not like doing a track day. You can do things like, and we've spoken about them on this podcast, particularly in our sort of track day podcast that we did, I think back in October. Um, we've spoken about doing sort of auto tests around car parks and, and, and the very sort of most affordable ways that you can do something competitive in the car. The moment there's a kind of checkered flag involved and being on track with a few other people and, you know, uh, and, and lap times actually being important, it, it does get um, it does get expensive. It just does because um, you know cars get crashed, um, engines blow up, entry fees. Uh, it, 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 it is you know I can remember 
um, you know, even when I was racing a Renault Clio, um, you know, years back, uh, the bills were really, really horrible. Um, and, and, and it's why, if I'm honest with you, almost everybody who does what we do for a living cannot afford to race on their own ticket, which is why also why we, we tend to leap at any opportunity to race absolutely anything at all, as long as it doesn't involve putting our hands in our pockets, because our pockets are just not deep enough to do it. If they were, I would. And, and, and there was a time before inconvenient things like children came along when I did pay for my own racing. And it, well, one example, okay, I once had, um, I was very lucky, I had a 993 RS Porsche 911. Um, and I wanted to go racing, so I sold it. And that bought a part share in a Chevy Camaro, which I raced for two seasons. I never crashed it. I never blew it up. And at the end of it, I didn't have enough money to go racing and I didn't have a 911. (laughs) So in two seasons of what I thought was pretty budget uh, historic motorsport in a bomb-proof car, it ate a 993 RS in cash. So that's, you know, so we, so the point of all this is we understand that uh, a lot of people, maybe even most, maybe even the vast majority of people listening to this um, who might love to race aren't able to race. And we understand how lucky and privileged we are that, you know, sometimes quite a lot, sometimes very occasionally. But, you know, sometimes at least we do get to race. And I don't want anybody think, thinking that we are that, that, that we have kind of failed to recognize that fact um, and are in any way other than, you know, ridiculously lucky to get to do what we do. Yeah, um, I I would feel like a total charlatan if I didn't disclose this now. Um, I've never spent a penny of my own money on racing, um, because of as you say, I actually just can't afford to. Yeah, um, I've paid to do a little bit of rallying and some karting and bits and pieces, but never never circuit racing. Um, in fact, I've only done seven or eight weekends, so I've not done a great deal of racing at all. Um, but it's all been covered by. Um, manufacturers or by somebody else um so and i'm well aware of how fortunate i am to have done that stuff um but you know i just i see in my future one way or another at some point a racing car that i own and use as often as i can you know i i'm i'm determined that i will pay my own way in in motorsport at some point yeah so if you'd like to see dan go road racing on his own ticket if you'd like to sign up to us and give us some money on patreon um which would be absolutely lovely patreon um forward slash drive nation um the dan in particular would be absolutely delighted if you did <laughs> yes uh we might be waiting a little while for that um, indeed okay all right well let's talk about it then so why do we race then what what do you what do we get out of it and how does it improve us as drivers i can get quite philosophical here well hang on this is good because i I really want to get into the philosophy of it because you um as much as anyone i've ever met consider it a way of life really don't you well i can't well it's good of you to say that i I can't really because i can't afford to do it and you know i'm so i'm I'm, you know more than anything else i'm i mean you know I am always very aware that I do it as somebody else's guest, whether that guest is a car manufacturer or a friend or whatever. Um, and it's one of the reasons that when it goes away, uh, because usually somebody sold the car I'm, I'm, I'm racing, um, I never get down to the chops about it because I can only think how lucky I've been to race it at all in the first place. But in, insofar as I, yeah, I mean, I suppose that the time will come when I stop because, you know, sooner or later, you know, something will happen or I will, 
um, go slow, you know, not be as quick as I used to be, or, or, or whatever. It, I mean, for everybody, the time comes when they stop racing, and I and I hope I'm able to greet that with you know equanimity. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would find it hard to imagine not racing, only because I've been I've been doing it um, for such a long time but the the philosophical i mean you asked why we did it and why i was going to get uh, briefly and i promise you i won't get this profound again i I i think it goes back to um almost to the cave i think it goes back to being you know it has been in man's instincts to be competitive um from the first moment you know he emerged from his cave and went off chasing the local wildlife because he needed something for dinner um and i think the need to compete um, to frankly, in very real terms, to be faster than the person next to you um, has been around with us for as long as we've been around. Um, and I think that is why, you know, it's not just car racing, isn't it? You know, all forms of competition, um, you know, people running around tracks or, you know, people racing horses or swimming in the swim, it doesn't matter. You're trying to prove that you are faster than the person next to you. And, and, and I think it ultimately all comes down to that. And I think it does um resonate with something pretty primal within us um and i think it is why also um and i and i put this out as a sizable health warning if you are lucky enough to do it just once you're going to really struggle to not do it again because it bites you and once you get bitten you stay bit it is it is utterly addictive and it is why i i, I find the idea of never racing um quite difficult to to um to understand but i mean as i say the time will come but i I think it is deep deep within us um and yeah because we love cars that's just the way we choose to to manifest it i guess yeah that's true i think there's another element that that there's the sort of conquering the danger aspect as well i'm sure that must be a a sort of deep-seated primal thing as well um because there there is an element of danger we everyone's aware of it when they step into a car um and there is some bizarre perverse joy to be had in you know facing up to that danger and overcoming it and with a great result or quick lap time or something um so it's quite a a base instinct isn't it that it that makes us strap ourselves into these cars and drive out onto the circuit do you know i've spent so long thinking about exactly that because i would not describe myself as being a thrill seeker i hate horror films i hate roller coasters (laughs) i hate anything any of those things that people for some reason i've never understood i've got a daughter who's like this who choose to go and do these things simply because they are designed to scare them i don't like being scared it's not it's you know i you know it's not a an emotion that i I, that i feel comfortable with i think you're designed not to feel comfortable with it so for me the fear factor um is kind of the price that i pay to be able to do what i love um and i and i don't know whether that speaks to something deep within me or not but i i spent so much time thinking about why i did i mean yeah usually most of the time i speak i i i find myself thinking about this as well i'm sitting on the grid and you all know this as well as me you're sitting there <laughs> oh yes. in the in the assembly area or or maybe you're about to go off and do your green flag lap your assembly where you'll parade out onto the track and find your space on the grid and in that moment right there and then i don't think i've ever done a race where if somebody said actually you can get out of the car now and just go to the pub and have a pint i don't <laughs> I would ever have thought to myself, no, I'm going to stay in the car. Um, I absolutely hate it. 
Um, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, the, the preparation, the contemplation, and when you're sitting there and there's nothing else going wrong, and you've got all these idiots around you, um, and your and, and the imagination starts to run away with you of all the things that could go wrong, and there are any number of ways in which they can and do go wrong, uh, and you just think, sit there thinking, what am I doing here? How have I got myself into this place where I'm strapped into this thing with all these people who I don't know? Um, and, and for what? I'm going to go round and round in circles for half an hour, wh- however long it is, try not to crash, and then nobody will ever remember it ever again. It seems like the most pointless pursuit. And then suddenly, you know, a flag gets waved or some lights go out, and you become a different person. In that instant, you just become a different person. You wouldn't recognise the person you were five seconds earlier. Um, and you're in the race and you're having a whale of a time and you never ever ever want it to end you know and i've done plenty of really long races and i never want them to end i'm always up for getting back in the car um it is the most peculiar thing but um yeah i, I but, but but the fear for me and you know and, and i race you know some, some pretty weird stuff which i think a lot of people would regard as being phenomenally dangerous and all i would say is that you know if they are dangerous and they probably are that is absolutely not why i race them mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so you're you're right. There's a competitive instinct, and we just happen to channel it through motorsport. But there's another aspect, isn't there? That if you enjoy driving, there is no other form of it that is so thrilling and so rewarding. Um, so, well, that applies to motorsport generally, doesn't it? There's once there's a stopwatch involved. There's just something about it. You've got you've got your helmet on. There's a stopwatch involved, and then all of a sudden, it's the most thrilling type of driving imaginable, and it's it knocks track days into a cocked hat, doesn't it? And you know those corporate experience days, they're like nothing compared to proper motorsport. Yeah, it's the competitiveness, isn't it? It's 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 the other people around you. It what it does, I think, is it makes you find things in yourself it does that, it does that, that, that you were you don't know that and, and and there's a very real example I, I i can um use to help i hope illustrate this in that i'm sure there have been races i've done where i have been quicker in qualifying than i have been in the race but i just don't remember any of them um you know the cars i race you don't have sort of qualifying tires or or, or anything else you just go out and you do a time and I always go quicker in the race, always, because, you know, suddenly, you know, being up against the, the, the watch and trying to do a lap time is all one thing. But when there's a bloke trying to hunt you down and you don't want him to hunt you down, so you want to get away from the bugger, then, you know, you just find something within you that w- which is not there in qualifying and certainly not there uh, you know, on a track day where, frankly, the only thing that matters is that you get to go home in one piece. Um, and, and And that is an uh, that is a dimension of driving I don't think you can experience unless you've raced. And that is what I find, and that is what is so addictive about it. It is that, um, it is, it, it is, it is, it is, it is, oh God, this is going to sound really, really, um, <laughs> but it, it, it is a sort of voyage of discovery. You are finding out things about yourself. And, you know, to, to the extent that, you know, what am I, I'm 55 now. And I still go off and I do races and I will drive, I'll I'll do a lap at a certain speed, which I wouldn't have thought I was capable of doing before the race because I would have, you know, I would have gone out and qualifying and I would have driven the car as fast as I know how to drive it because that's what you do. You don't leave anything on the table. Um, And yet 
perhaps even without trying quite so hard in the race, you somehow managed to go faster still. And it's, I, I'm still trying to figure out, figure that one out. But I think being competitive, um, you know, having the adrenaline pumping the way that it is, um, you just do things you didn't think you could do. And I and that I, that's probably what I love most about it. Yeah. And do you know what's brilliant about it, actually, just thinking about it now, is that you get that same kick, perhaps just to a, a marginally lesser degree, in a, a little shopping hatchback adapted for a racetrack as you do something really, really fast. Because it's, it's not necessarily the speed or the, the price of the car that gives you that. It is the competition. And as long as there is equal competition around you, you will get that rush. Oh, you know, I can remember I did a 24-hour race at Silverstone uh, in an MX-5, um, which I shared with Jethro Bovingdon, I'm sure you all know, Matt Pryor from Autocar, and Ben Anderson from Autosport. Um, and it was an MX-5, and it was a 24-hour race on the Grand Prix circuit of Silverstone. You might be thinking, mine, that must have just really dragged. And it, and it was just wonderful. It was just fantastic. We, we Joe were running the car. Um, who are the absolute best in the business. So um, we knew that we were in a really, really good car. And because the car was so beautifully set up, it was so well balanced. And because I was doing it with my mates and um, it just kind of all came together. And, you know, th- that is one of my most fond racing memories, even though I've been blessed to race some stupidly expensive stuff um, and some really quite fast stuff. Um, you're absolutely right. You can have as much fun skidding about in an MX-5 if the car is, you know, if the car is a bit of a uh, is, is a bit of a nail, and it's you know, and and, and it's frightening you because um, it's not set up properly, um, or it's so much slower than anything else out there, you're not actually racing. That is something you can't, you know, you can't be on the slowest car on the grid. And it's not because I don't want to come last; it's because if you're in the slowest car on the grid, um, you've got no one to play with. And if you're not, if you've got no one to play with, then you know that doesn't feel like racing. It's it, not that I've ever been in this situation, but. You know, I've imagined when I've seen people who are in cars which are wildly faster than this, and they just sort of run run away and hide. And I can think, I can think to myself, well, okay, fine. You know, you get a pot at the end of it, and you get to say you won the race. But have you had as much fun as the bloke down in fifteenth, sixteenth, and seventeenth places who have just spent, you know, however many laps you're doing, absolutely tearing each other up, and you know, ducking and diving and trying this and trying that and doing everything you can to get past and to not let anybody past you. Um, you know, who's had the most fun that weekend? In my mind, there's absolutely no contest. So as long as you're racing, I mean, that's what matters. Uh, other things matter too. Uh, it matters, you know, some tracks are massively more entertaining than others. You know, the weather can play a part. All sorts of things can play a part. But as long as you're racing, as long as you're in the thick of it with other people, I don't think it really matters what you're in. You're racing and that's all that counts. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um Right, so think back, and what was your first ever car race? And can you remember when it was? Sorry, you caught me with a mouthful of tea there. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I can remember exactly when it was. Um, I can remember. I can remember. I can remember pretty much every every moment of it. It was 1994, um, so I was quite old even then. I was what was I? 28, um, um, and it was just because before then, um, at Auto Car there was. There was absolutely, you know, we, we, we had an editor who was just not interested in it and just thought that we, the road testers, who all wanted to race, uh, had no sort of editorial values at all. And we were just putting forward these story ideas which involved us racing because we just wanted to get, you know, we just wanted to go racing. Um, <laughs> not which entirely untrue. <laughs> entirely true. Uh, but, then, but then there was a change at the top. 
Um, and so a few of us, guys like uh, me and Steve Sutcliffe and you know some old autocar names, which may or may not um, be familiar to people listening to this, but guys like Ian Robinson and Gavin Conway and James Thomas, um, we, we had a, a caterer, um, a company called Chaz Burger Motorsport prepared us a 1.4 litre K-series powered um, catering to do whatever the most junior level of catering racing um, was. And the idea was that we just... Uh, I think there must be five of us, and I think that there were like ten rounds. So we do two rounds each: one at the beginning of the season, one at the middle of the season, and so on. Um, and sadly, the car got written off at Lydon Hill. I won't tell you it was in it, but it wasn't me. Um, and so um, most of us only got to do one race. And anyway, the race I did was um, ten laps of the Indy Circuit at Brands. I mean, I wonder how many people's first races have, have been ten laps of the Indy Circuit at Brands. It's a pretty sort of familiar way to to get into it. But it's actually, even though it's a very short circuit, it's a very technical. Circuit that it's not an easy thing to figure your way around. Uh, I was very lucky in that um, Ben Edwards, um, the um, the great um, Formula One commentator who's just retired from the sport. I mean, he was a pretty formidable driver back then. And he's a lovely bloke and he showed me around. Uh, I think he must have had a practice day or something. So I sort of turned up. They drove the car down there as he did back then. Um, and he showed me around the track and showed me where the brake, showed me what the car can do. Um, and, um, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. I qualified 12th. I think there must've been, I don't know, something like 24, 26 cars on the grid. So I was about halfway up, which I was really pleased with, um, because, you know, there were lots of people in there who'd done it for a long time and I'd never done it before. Um, and in the race, I, I kind of got into a groove and I started doing reasonably well. I can remember coming out of Druids, the type hairpin at the top, and I could just, I could get back on the powers just sooner than anybody else. And I was trying to work out why it was. And then I realized it was because I was fatter than anybody else. And I weighed more than anybody else. And there was just more, I just had more traction because uh, there was just more of me sitting on the back axle. Um, so I did my best to um, make the most of that. And I kind of worked up my way up the field. Um, and I found myself in fifth place. And I was challenging a bloke called Neil DeLaghi. I know I do what happened to him, but anyway, um, for fourth place. And I tried to take the left-hander at Surtees flat. And I knew it was flat. I'd been told it was flat, but I'd never quite been able to do it. It was just a tiny lift. But I mean, but I was desperate to get past this bloke. So I thought, right, this time I'm staying nailed. And I went through it flat and came out travelling backwards. Um, how I didn't connect with anything, I have no idea. But I spun round and round and round and ended up on the grass, um, rejoined the race and finished 12th which was exactly the position I started the race in. So, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. I, you know, ended up where I started. But um, massive fun. And going back to what I said earlier, that I was bitten from that moment yeah. on. I knew I had to find a way to keep racing. What about you? What, what, what were you in? Um, I, so, uh, mine was quite a good, um, a good stage, actually, for a first race. It was the, the first race of Remembrance at Anglesey. Oh, wow. Um, oh, so a proper long race as well. Yeah, 2014. So you get your in eye a, in. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. In a Jota MX5 again. Yeah. Um, and it was fantastic. Yeah. I, I, probably like you, um, I, I approached it in a slightly bizarre way because I'd done so much circuit driving through through work, just no racing. Um, and Anglesey was. I was working at Evo at the time, which is why I got that that drive. And Anglesey was a circuit that we used a lot. So I knew the place inside out. Um, What's the weather like? 
oh my god it was <laughs> it, 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 it was like Anglesey in November you know Ang- was, funnily enough yes. yeah it was it was grim um and the nerves not just on the grid but the week leading up to it and arriving at the circuit seeing the whole setup and just feeling sick to your stomach yes for hours on end um, yes and and not being able to sleep the night before and the fact that you can't sleep being the reason that you stay awake because you get so frustrated with not being able to sleep you can't sleep um yeah all of that and and being it's the funniest thing being intimidated by a hands device and the fire extinguishers yeah just being reminded that this is real motorsport yeah and just being a bit bit overwhelmed by all that stuff yeah Um, i can i can remember turning up and just seeing all the trucks in the paddock yeah. Yeah. yeah all those big shiny trucks yeah. I'm thinking, oh my god, this is so far out of my depth. You know, I literally, you know, I just drove the caterham into the paddock, and yeah. there were all these big. And yeah, so so, and, and who are you sharing it with? Uh, I was sharing it with a couple of um, the Mission Motorsport uh, veterans. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, some good lads, um, and uh, a handful of others. But I, I was very lucky that Marino Franchitti was there, um, and he's a brilliant guy and a really good sort of coach and just he just he kept he kept me calm and you know just reassured me um leading up to the race and he sadly he actually didn't get to he was supposed to race the car with us but he had a a north american license rather than a british one and uh i don't think the race of remembrance had anticipated anyone with a North American license coming along, so he couldn't. He didn't so, actually. So, have... so this this is a bloke who yeah. won the Sebring twelve hours. Yeah, outright, and he, <laughs> and he, <laughs> he couldn't he wasn't race the at Anglesey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a shame because yeah, I just wanted to share a car with my mate, you know. Um, yeah, of course. But even so, he, you know, just having him there to sort of talk us through it was invaluable. But yeah, and so the, there are nerves in the days and hours leading up to it, but the. The nervousness as you get into the car for the first time, with everyone herring past the, you know, down the pit straight. Like you said, I would have, I would have chosen to be anywhere else at that point. Absolutely any, anywhere else. Um, but then the instant you're out on circuit and you've got you're f- through the first two corners and you, you think, oh, I can do this. I, <laughs> I know how to drive a car, and then you just get on with it, and it's that's it. You're you're hooked, aren't you? Um, my my first qualifying session was in torrential rain and to date it's the most exciting thing i've done in a car and like you mentioned earlier i just found this reserve of i suppose it's courage that i had no clue i had because ordinarily if i'm driving on circuit and i can't see anything but the rain light in front of me i'm just going to pull back um but because it was qualifying and i wanted to do well and the stopwatch was running and everyone was looking on um, I kept my foot in and eventually got past that car that's kicking up all that spray. Um, and I, there must have been, I don't know, maybe a grid of 20 cars or something. I qualified third. Um, wow. And it was... Wow. Yeah, it was... Fair it, play. It, it was and the fastest MX-5 by a second. Um, so I'd, it was just the most incredible experience, that qualifying session. Um, and then the also, race... In, 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 you know, particularly your first ever qualifying session... You know, and, and to this day, I, st- I still find this that you know you have to 
do your best in qualifying because you know because you go around there thinking this okay it's qualifying what it actually is the dress rehearsal for the race and if you and you just think to yourself and this is the way i think is that you know if i can't even do this well what chance have i got in the race so you've got to try and and even though you can't do it quite because of all this other stuff i've already talked about you've got to try and get your race face on in, in 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 qualifying haven't you and you've got to do as well as you possibly can because if you come out of that experience feeling that you've slightly underperformed or you're slightly scared or you've been a bit cowed by the whole thing you know the moment that you're out there and all those other cars aren't just cars that are all trying to set a time but they're competitors who are trying to stop you get past them or you're trying to stop them come past you um then you could you could just be intimidated off off the track and um there've been one or two times in my racing life where i've been in a car and i've been unhappy in the car um and it's just the worst feeling in the world um and Ooh, yeah you know and, and and also i think you become very dangerous then um to yourself i think you're much more likely to have an accident because your mind's not on the job you know if you're not focused absolutely on what you're doing if you're sitting there thinking i am scared the thing to do is get it you know you're not having any fun um you know if you're racing on your own just retire the car and if you're if, if you're racing with a bunch of mates bring it in and give it to somebody else and let them have a go it's just um ugh, yeah i just think about it um, I, yeah, I i just i just hate it yeah, I've not never felt that, thankfully, but yeah, it sounds awful. Um, okay, right, I want you to put modesty to one side for a moment. Um, I find because, it very easy. <laughs> because you've done a lot of racing over the years, and you've raced with some big teams, and data engineers will have gone through um, <laughs> those speed traces with you. And I know that at some point, one of them will have said something flattering, okay? I, I'm sure that's true. So just, I, just imagine that you were 16 years old, plonked into a Formula Ford, do you think you could have had a career no 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 chance no um no i i prefer do i think i could have had a career i i really no actually no 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 definitive answer absolutely not because <laughs> I, I i i see today how many amazing drivers there are who are struggling to earn a living um you know and they are you know and, and they spend their lives being scared witless being driven around tracks instructing by total idiots i can't imagine that you know when they were coming up through the ranks doing carts and doing formula four that's how they imagined it was going to work out for them um and these are guys who you know if they drove anybody listening to this around the track you would sit next to them you'd be sitting next to them thinking oh my god this guy is just on a completely different level um and what we're talking about is you know guys who you know, had they had the brakes, probably would be able to earn, you know, a decent, a decent, not great, but a decent career, as let us say, a sort of a hired GT3 driver or something like that. Um, but there are just so many of them. There are so many people who are at that level. And it's a really, really high level. Frankly, it's a level that is higher than almost any, not a, not absolutely any journalist but all but a tiny number of motoring journalists ever get to and I, I wouldn't say that I was at that level now if I had huge amounts of money and I'd done it from you know I'd been karting when I was eight instead of doing my first race when I was 28 I mean I suppose you don't know I don't know how much you could have learnt, how much you could have trained your brain in that time when it was still young and um, you know soaking up information and maybe you know they always said that about Graham Hill didn't they that he wasn't an innately talented racing driver but he just worked harder than anybody else um, and he won two world championships and I know some really famous racing drivers who will say there is nothing that I do that you could not be taught to do and I've never really 
believed it. Um, but, you know, if you ask for a, a gut opinion, there's no, I don't think I could. Uh, if I could, it would have been at the lowest level possible. And I would have probably ended up instructing, uh, and which I would have absolutely hated. Um, but, yeah, but to me, that doesn't, it, I can't tell you how little it bothers me. Because, frankly, unless you're Lewis, there's always someone who's going to be quicker than you. Always. Doesn't matter who you are. There is always going to be someone quicker than you. And frankly, there's always going to be someone who's slower than you. So where you are in that pecking order, I mean, I wouldn't want to be th- thought of as a duffer. And, you know, and, and I know that there are some people in all forms, not all, but most forms of recreational racing um, who just go out there and they wander around. Um, and I've never had a problem with them as long as they keep out of the way. Um, but I have often thought, you know, you're not really racing. You're just being out there. And, you know, and, and that's fine. I wouldn't want that. But at the same time, I have no illusions at all. I would describe, in fact, I always have described myself as being to a reasonably good, competent you know, club racer standard, um, which means that if you give me um, a really decent car in a you know, reasonably decent race, I'll do reasonably well in it. Um, but I don't think I would ever profess to you know, anything more than that. What about you? Well, I think, Honestly. I, think, I think if I'd started karting at eight, I'd have a sack full of F1 titles by now. Yeah, well, indeed. <laughs> Me too. I agree. I mean, I've, I've shared cars with you. I, I, I completely concur. No, it's no, no, no. I mean, like you say, you never know what might have happened if if you'd started in a in a go kart as when you were just a little kid. But I suspect, you know, the the track driving that I've done, the racing that I've done, um, I think I'm uh, a reasonably skillful, smooth, clean, quick driver, but. You know, I, I, I've, I can get within a second, maybe half a second, of some really quick guys, guys who are. I did, I've done some mini challenge racing, and I can get within a second of guys who are winning that race, qualifying on pole, and those are British touring car standard guys. You know, they're 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 going really hard, but I don't think I will ever make up that final second or half second no. because because I there's a a, a sort of a fear aspect that I don't think I'll overcome because frankly I don't need to there's there's it's not really worth it for me you know I, I I'm not there to take those risks to try and prove that I'm a, a you know a, a, a remarkably talented driver I'm not pursuing a career so I just I just don't think I would ever take enough of a chance to take that final leap um so no I I, I don't think i ever had it in me to to have a career no and i think that there's another thing you know i have you know i've done a few races where i've had some fairly um you know well-known teammates um and i have on occasion surprised myself by how close i've got to them um in qualifying sometimes i've been on their pace but of course you forget that qualifying is one lap yeah yeah um, and what they can do is whatever that time is, times however many laps the race is. Uh, whereas what I've done is I've taken my brain out, um, shut my eye and hope <laughs> for the best for that one lap. And, and I couldn't string two, let alone 20 of them together to save my life. And at the end of a race, um, that's why they end up 25 seconds down the road from you. Um, because, you know, they can just do that all the time. Because, you know, unlike you who are, you know, absolutely white knuckling it, wringing every single thing you can out of yourself. Um, they they're just doing their job. They're just they've just gone to work. They're sitting at their desk doing what they do, and that's what happens when you do that. Um, and that to me is 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 the really really big difference. And, and you know, I do um, every year. I 
toddle off to do this ridiculous six-hour historic race at Spa, um, which is probably my happiest time. It's certainly my, the best weekend of my year. I haven't done it this year, which I'm not at all bitter about. But anyway, um, but you know, the guys up the front in that, um, who are the creme de la creme of the historic racing car world, um, you know, whether it's light or whether it's dark or whether it's dry or whether it's chucking it down um they are just you know they are the, they have a pace and they just stick to it you know they have a dry pace they have a wet pace and they are always on it lap after lap sometimes i just watch the timing screens and you know sometimes they get held up by traffic but in clear air they are just totally consistent and totally on it all the time um and you know and if i want to be totally consistent i have to slow down i have to drive at nine tenths rather than ten tenths um and so you know that has consequences you know the car goes backwards so yeah um no i I have no illusions i'm afraid yeah and it's a tough old world that professional driver life um because there's such scrutiny particularly in the gt world um i've you know i've heard people say that if your outlap is half a second too slow because you're a little bit cautious or you took too long to get past a car and you lost a bit of lap time the teams will be looking at that in microscopic detail and you could lose your seat as a result of that. Um, and, you know, you can extrapolate that all the way out to Formula One. What's Valtteri Bottas's reputation as a racing driver? He's, you know, probably that he got lucky to find himself in the fastest car, win a handful of F1 races, but ultimately nowhere near the level required to, to beat Lewis Hamilton and be world champion, which is just bonkers because there are people out there who uh who ran bottas when he was a junior driver i think it's team parker racing isn't it the uk team they ran him in a single seater and all the the engineers there and the mechanics they still regard him as the greatest driver of all time because he did something completely bonkers in a little single seater at pembury or whatever um you know he's his talent is off the dial and yet, his reputation is for being a, a so-so F1 driver. The scrutiny is unbelievable. It, it, it is, and, and you are, and you are so right. Um, you know, it, it's only really happened to me once. Um, I did a another twenty-four hour race at Silverstone. Uh, this was a long time ago. I was racing a GT3 Jaguar XKR that was being run by Richard Lloyd, the late great, wonderful Richard Lloyd. Um, and I'd only got the drive at the last moment. I didn't fit the car and yada, yada, yada. Um, and in the middle of the night, um, I was going around and I thought I was doing quite well. And my crew chief came on the radio and went, Andrew, we really do need you to speed up a bit. Um, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, completely understand. We'll pull you in and we'll stick somebody else in the car. Wow. And I just felt crushed. I really did. Uh, because I know that for him to have got on the horn, to have felt so strongly to get on the on, on the blower to me and tell me that i just thought about the conversations that would have gone in the pit beforehand um and i mean it and and you know and that's just one tiny little example in a, you know in a not very you know quick car and a not massively important uh important race but you know the way that people are assessed these days and and also data uh, i did a um a gt4 race in a mclaren at spa year before last 
Um, and that's the really the first time because all my almost all my racing has been in the historic world. Um, it's really been the only time that I've sat down and really done a proper race weekend with proper data and proper data analysts and people showing me everything. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. Um, it felt to me like cheating because I was just finding massive chunks of time, not by being a better driver, but by just analysing and understanding the data. And I know I wasn't doing anything which you know everybody else wasn't doing too, but um, it didn't feel like it felt like I was being given an unfair advantage because you know the guys who, who who've got the natural talent um, you know should be that much faster and they weren't. And I discovered, apparently, you know, you've mentioned this to anybody who races GT3 cars or whatever, and they just laugh and go, of course, you know, they spend much more time looking at data than they ever do driving their cars. Um, and, 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 you know, and what you were saying, you know, you come out and you are just a fraction off on your outlap, or you don't absolutely maximise every opportunity on your inlap. You know, let's say, you know, you're coming down the pit lane, and you know you go under the pit lane speed when you're 10 yards away from the line rather than absolutely on the line and they've calculated that's cost them a tenth of a second or something and you know you're being judged for that to me that's the moment motor racing stops being fun um and if you talk to the guys um and i think we've probably mentioned this on this podcast before but guys like you know Darren, Darren Turner, all the heroes who do you know proper frontline top draw professional motor racing and then also cock about in old sheds at goodwood they always prefer the cocking about an old shed with Goodwood because, you know, ultimately they're just out there having a laugh. Um, you know, no one is, you know, as long as they do well and go sideways, that's all anybody requires of them. Um, and, you know, that's, that, that's what I want to go motor racing for. I don't want to go motor racing to spend more time sitting in a truck looking at a screen than sitting in a car and driving it. Mm. Um, okay, well, that's a good question. I think you've probably answered it there. Um, you've raced modern cars. You've raced older cars. Um, if you could only race one kind of car for the rest of your your time, oh, I'd definitely race older cars, um, and, for, and and for a few different reasons. Um, one is I'm I'm now just dialed into the way um, old cars handle, and I and I drive them in the way that old cars need to be driven. And I I actually when I get in a modern, I was driving a a radical um, the other day, uh, the new uh, what is it uh, SR10. And um, I, I, when I get in cars like that, I, I'm always mindful of the fact that there's stuff, not only that there's stuff I have to learn about the car, but there's also stuff I have to unlearn about um, the way that I drive cars. Uh, also, you know, the older you get, uh, this is going to make me sound so old, but, you know, the less comfortable the forces on your body become. Um, you know, that you know, that radical was, well, corner, I think, 2.3 G, um, you know, stuff I've driven before that road in, thing that i drove in new zealand uh a year ago we'll probably corner at 4g and you know uh, i'm 15 stone on a good day and you know i don't particularly appreciate weighing 45 stone uh or 60 stone um and so you know um whereas if you're in some old shed on skinny little you know racing dunlops you know that's not going to be a problem um and you know I, i i and also i just love um skidding about it's silly i know but um i love cars that are expressive i guess um and those old sheds are i mean they all go sideways indeed you know those old dunlop racing tires you know they are designed to work with a slip angle and so if you're not drifting them um you're not driving the car properly uh and so and, and i just love all that and things happen more slowly so you've got more time to react to it and and on and on and on i really love the people who do it 
I love the look of all the cars, the variety of all the cars, the, you know, some of the mad old tracks we get to go and do it on like Goodwood. Yeah, I, I, I'm just, I guess because it's the world I've been brought up in and the age that I've reached now. Um, I'm just, I'm just happier in, in, in that world. But, you know, a young whippersnapper like you would probably feel entirely differently and, you know, and give anything to get out there in something with slicks and wings. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I've never raced anything with any downforce. Have you? Well, bits, yeah, GT3, GT4. So, I mean, yeah, you know, downforce by old shed stand, standards, but no downforce by... Yeah, um, single-seater. You know, by, by, but but I've, I've driven plenty of cars um, with plenty of downforce. So I, I've ever, I absolutely understand, um, you know, what downforce is and what it enables a car to do. And it, I find it fascinating, but I find it kind of academically fascinating i'm i'm really really curious about it but i don't it doesn't sort of you know get me you know you know if, if i can drive an old alpha around somewhere like donington in the wet you know there's a good chance that if i get off the track it's because i'm laughing so much i genuinely if anybody ever had a camera in the cars one of the reasons I, you know they would they would just hear me hooting <laughs> with laughter all the way around and i'd never get that in something like that i'd be sitting there thinking well obviously i don't want to crash it and um, I'm not very comfortable with these feelings I'm being subject to, but this this is really interesting, and I want to find out more because, you know, it's this is an education for me, and yeah, I, and and I find it's you know academically really really interesting, but it doesn't stir, stir my soul. Yeah, I get that, and actually, I I feel that I'm more drawn to the idea of historic motorsport than yeah. modern slicks and wing stuff. I'm also I don't like getting beaten up in a car. Um, and, you know, it's why I've got a, a sort of love-hate relationship with karting. I own a kart, but whenever I get in it, more to the point, I get out of it going, ouch, I'm really sore. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I really love that stuff anymore. And I, I don't get on with cars with really heavy, unassisted steering that you fight with. Um, I just really struggle with those. I remember Jethro Bovingdon saying to me that, as long as a racing car's got ABS, he's happy. And I think That's for me, it's, yeah. And I think for me, it's as long as it's got power steering, I'm I'm much happier. Even in a a Caterham, it's you know it's not the steering in those cars is not particularly heavy, but it's there's so much feedback that you're still uh, sort of wrestling with it a little bit. And I find that wrestling an impediment to me getting uh, sort of turning right and and all that stuff. So I'm sort of. I'm more able to be competitive in something like the Mini Challenge, which is, I suppose, a more conventional car with power steering than something like a Caterham. Um, you know, given the opportunity, I'd still jump into a little single-seater and have a blast. But, yeah, I'd, I think I'd rather skid around something old at Goodwood. That sort of appeals to me a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is, it is wonderful. Yeah. Mm. Um, so what's the... What's the absolute fastest thing you've raced? Yes, I'm having to think about this, aren't I? Um, the <laughs> That's absolute. Okay. Well, I mean, it, okay. So, in my historic world, um, which is really the world I inhabit, um, there's a car called a Lister Costin Coupe, um, which won the Goodwood TT last year after very many years of trying. Um, finally. Um, it did it. It got over the line and it won it. Uh, this is the car that Chris Harris came second in in 2013. So nearly won it. Um, but the weather, he, he had an amazing first stint in it. 
Um, and I think they'd qualified third and he'd handed it over well in the lead, having ha- having completely dusted John Alessi in a 250 GTO um, and gave it over to um, to Anthony Reid, um, who uh, the weather turned and the car was never very easy to drive in the wet um, and he spun it and um, an old Aston, uh, driven by the very, very talented Simon Hadfield, nipped through and t- took the win. So, but anyway, um, but, but I raced that car when it had, I'm making excuses now, I know, but it genuinely had a, an old and not particularly healthy engine in it. Um, with I used to race it a lot, actually, um, but the particular race I'm talking about was the TT, was it the year before, the year before that, 2011, I shared it with Richard Atwood, um, and we had a sick engine, and it didn't like Goodwood's petrol for some reason. We actually got it running properly in the end by going to Sainsbury's and getting the fuel from there. Um, and then we uh, we had we had weather problems. Um, but that was that's probably in, in historics. That's probably the quickest. You know, I've never raced a historic Formula One car or or anything like that. Um, I probably quite like to. I think. Um, but you know um for me it's it's not really the speed of the car if you can be in something you know because there are lots of cars that you know by modern standards really aren't that quick and not even the list is that quick by modern standards uh, although you know it was lapping i think this year it was doing about a sort of 125 126 round goodwood um and you need a pretty bloody rapid road car to match that time and this was a car that was designed 60 years ago and what do i think you'd need to do I'm not sure a new GT3 RS would do a 126 round there. It might. It might. But you'd need something like that. Um, something of that order to get down to those sorts of speeds. Um, so, um, yeah. So that was, you know, that, that, that was a very cool car. But as I said, it's... It's it, it's more. I mean, I I, I get terribly enough you know, if, if I'm lucky enough to race some some amazing things, and I have. Um, it's the history of the cars, and particularly if I'm racing them somewhere which is, in itself, very historic. Um, then I can just get completely romanced, totally romanced with the whole thing. Let's round this podcast up with um, a bit of advice for people wanting to get started in racing, um, and I'll I'll make a start. And I think that rather than go racing straight away, it's worth considering doing an auto solo or an auto test or a sprint and it's because i found when i started racing i found the procedural stuff leading up to the race is sort of baffling and intimidating and as worrying as driving the car itself knowing where you have to be and when scrutineering signing on getting all that stuff right and i just think it'd be quite sensible to grow accustomed to all of that more basic stuff before plonking yourself on a grid full of other cars you're, um, you're absolutely right or, or just go and or just go and spectate i mean i was very lucky in this regard and my elder brother used to um used to race alpha suds of all things uh, years and years ago and i was a sort of you know fanboy so i used to go along um and i used to help push the car to scrutineering and i'd go in the car with him to uh the assembly area and all that sort of thing so i you know i, I kind of what knew how all that worked and you know signing on and all the other you know the endless stuff you have to do in order to spend 10 minutes whizzing around the track um and i think that, and, and, and i think absolutely get used to being on the track if you can do anything competitive as you say like you know auto test or whatever then that's great but also just go and you know if you don't already just go and spectate um and you know just go up to the scrutineering bay and ask the scrutineer if you can just stand and watch them do what they do and watch the people come in and the, and the bits of paper that you get given and 
and you know go down to the assembly all these things if you're talking about grassroots club level motorsport none of these places are difficult to get to um no one's going to say boo to you um you know and you're absolutely right you know the more normal all that seems to you the less intimidated you will be when finally it's you who are going to be on the grid Mm. yeah yeah that's right um Okay. Anything else that you want to say about racing? It's a good topic, isn't it? And we could yeah, probably keep I mean, going I, I, for a lot I, longer. I, I think there's plenty I would say about racing. I mean, I think we've made it sound quite difficult, and, and but obviously the most difficult thing is the money. And the thing, you know, I, I, what advice would I give? You know, just being able to buy a break. You know, if you think about, you know, racing a car, and you think, well, I can probably afford the car, and I know what the entry fees is. You know, just. You know, they racing eats money, and it's not just when you're out on the track. Um, you've obviously got your consumables, your tyres, and your brake pads, and all that sort of thing. You've got to um, at least be prepared for you know a big bill because cars do blow up, to cars do get crashed, um, and you've got to be able to you know look that one in the eye. But also, it's you know it's immensely time consuming, um, and there are just just other costs. You know, things like you know if you haven't got one. You know, renting a trailer or something that you can tow a car with, you know, hotel accommodation while you're there, fuel costs, getting there, getting back, um, you know, um, this, that and the other. Um, you know, you, the, your license fee, depending on what grade you get, you know, getting your license. And if you're old, you know, uh, if you're over 45 and you want to race an international level, and I know this because I've got to have one done myself fairly shortly, you've got to have a stress related ECG and that's another 600 quid down the drain. So you've just got to look at it, you know, in a brutally honest way because there are lots of people who really love the idea of racing, tried it, have not been realistic about the cost of doing it and um, have found themselves falling in love with racing but not being able to do it because they can't afford it. Um, but if you can, and you are sensible about the money side of thing and you are you don't have to be lewis valtteri um or, or anybody else you have to be safe and you have i think if you are just you know if you are just a good driver a good safe clean fast smooth driver um then there is no reason in the world why if you get yourself a half decent car you can't get out and go racing at a club level in the uk and have an absolute ball and i think if you look at it in those terms i would recommend it to absolutely everyone because there are so few things um particularly in motoring where suddenly you discover stuff you 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 never not only that you never knew but you didn't even know could be known um and what i was saying at the beginning about finding this other stuff within yourself and you know and i've been racing for whatever it is um you know decades and i'm still finding out stuff and i'm still surprising myself um and i'm still loving it so you know i think be realistic but don't be put off because i think if you can do it it is it is utterly wonderful um and i can't you know i can't recommend it highly enough it's been just over four years since i last raced oh my goodness i know i know it's i need really need to do something about that in 2021 that should be the target just go and race we need we need a drive nation or whatever we're going to be um sponsored race car don't we we need someone to come to us and go listen we'd just love to have your name all over i can't see it happening but (laughs) um yeah i wish you'd do it i'd love you know and i've never raced with you i'd love to do that i'd love to go and do a a long distance something or other and you and i just cock about in the car um it'd be good fun I, I, just, I just want to know how much faster than me you are um, no 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 it'd be absolutely the other way around i'd be hopeless but i'd, I'd be there to learn so it's okay <laughs> <laughs> um, Doubt oh, it. good oh, i just want to go racing now okay um 
Well, normally I end these podcasts by saying we'll talk to you again next week. Um, but we're not going but to, we are we? Will we? No, we don't. No, we, we, we record these things on a Friday. Uh, and, and next Friday is, is Christmas Day. And uh, love to spend our Christmas Day um, chatting with you lot, though we would. Um, we have families who, who may have other ideas about that. So um, we're going to give ourselves a week off, aren't we? We are. We are. Um, but we will be back um, first thing in the new year. Um, and we'll crack on from there. 2021 is going to be a big year for us, we hope. Um, so, you know, just all that's left to be said is thank you to every single one of you for supporting us throughout this year. Um, and for those of you who have bunged us a few quid on Patreon, um, you know, a, a, truly a heartfelt thank you to all of you. Um, it's been a tough year at times, isn't it? And I'm sure that 2021 will be a better one for us. And I hope it is all it is for all of you as well. Yeah, I don't think as a person listening to this who hasn't been, you know, adversely affected by all the stuff that's been going on. I think that, you know, motoring journalists have probably been a lot luckier um, than most. Um, but yeah, I, just to echo what Dan says, thank you so much for everybody who stuck with us. Um, I'd just like to put my hand in the air and thought and, and, and just say that I never thought that podcasting would, would work. And clearly I've been well, like so many other things. I was completely wrong about that. But thank you for... Um, staying with us thank you for all the people who have said um, nice things to us thank you for all the people who haven't said nasty things to us despite thinking them Um, and yeah we just really really look forward to um, to the new year we hope you have a wonderful Christmas and uh, we'll catch up with you for what is going to be for us at least a a very different sort of year and we'll share with you all the stuff that we're up to um, over time but in the meantime yeah have a great Christmas happy new year and we'll catch up with you in 2021 yeah have a good break everyone speak soon The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel.